And as you find, stand, 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of tongues in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only... How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind, that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. And we'll pray. God, we again um, just thank you for what you've written, and clearly, Lord, your intent is for our good and that we would know you, worship you in spirit and truth, and be led in all that is good and right. And I pray, God, that as we look at your word here, that we would have your mind and that we would understand and apply and that our lives would be built up in our faith firmly rooted. Lord, and what you have said, and that we would walk in the truth with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. <clears throat> well, this is the chapter 14, the last chapter in Paul's section here on spiritual gifts. He um, sandwiched these three chapters in the middle with that chapter on love. And he has not left that emphasis. He's still picking up on that in chapter 14. Clearly, God is love. And the one thing that should characterize his church 
is love. And when it comes to the spiritual gifts, they should be exercised in a way that people are loved and edified. There's really three principles here in this chapter that Paul seems to be focusing on. And I appreciate Warren Wearsby making this clear, as he often does. And that is, first of all, the edification of the body, the importance of understanding, and the importance of order in the church service. Edification, understanding, and order. And all of these things really can only be um, as the Spirit is having His way among us. So a truly spiritual church, a church that is being led by the Spirit of God, will be a church where there is the body is being edified, where there is understanding and clarity in what is being said and done, and all things are done in an orderly way. If those three things are not in place, then no matter how much a church may say it's Spirit-filled, it is not being directed by the Spirit of God. And so he first talks, out, talks in this chapter about the importance of edification. And when it comes to the spiritual gifts, if you're going to grade them or categorize them or put them in a hierarchy, it has to be based on edification. And the unique thing about tongues, and it is unique, is that the person who speaks in tongues, Paul says, edifies only himself. No other gift is that way. Every other gift, the entire body is edified when it's expressed. Not so with tongues. And he says that because no one understands it. Just makes sense. If, if I happened to, while I was um, between last Sunday and this Sunday, learned how to, how to speak, I don't know, Swahili, and I showed up in church and started preaching in Swahili, you all would all go, well, that's really interesting. Man, I tell you, you know, Charlie, he, 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 he can speak Swahili, or so he says. I don't know a word of Swahili, so maybe it may be something else. But nobody would get anything out of it. You might be impressed, you might be awed, but you'd get nothing out of it. And Paul says, that is the way it is with tongues. Even the person who speaks in tongues does not understand what he is saying. And so there's no edification to anyone other than the person who speaks in tongues. And for that reason, Paul says, because God is love and we are to love one another, the person who speaks in tongues, it would be contradictory to love for him to want to exhibit that gift in the body because he's being edified, but no one else is. And that is the contradiction of what love is. Love is about the other person and not about ourselves. And so that's where he's going with this. And he says prophecy is a much greater gift because there is clarity and there is understanding. And where there is understanding, there is the opportunity, the potential at least for edification. And so there's a number of things here, but one of the things we should note just, just at the outset here is that Paul is not against tongues. He is not against the spiritual gifts. As we read, he himself spoke in tongues more than any of the Corinthians, which means he spoke in tongues a lot. But the gifts themselves are not an indication of being mature. And he has many times in this letter made reference to the immaturity of the Corinthian church. So you can speak in tongues and not be demonstrating true spiritual maturity, depending on how it's done, as, as would be the case with any of the spiritual gifts. The expression of the gifts is not necessarily an indication of spiritual maturity. It may be an indication of carnality, because Paul says to this church, you are a carnal church. So carnal 
churches can be displaying the spiritual gifts. You're not more or less spiritual for the gifts. Tongues edifies only the person speaking in tongues. Therefore, a spiritual, mature tongue speaker will be willing to not speak in tongues so as to let others be edified. And therefore, tongues is not in itself a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, reading through these first 19 verses, as I just did, and a few verses after, there are a number of truths about tongues that Paul's expressing. So starting again, and we'll just read through this, and I'll make some observations. There's a, there's a good 10 or 12 things here that Paul is saying about tongues. One who speaks in a tongue, verse 2, does not speak to men. So the first observation, the first truth about tongues, it is this is not the kind of language where you are speaking directly with understanding to other people. The person who speaks in a tongue is speaking to God, not to men. And no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, before we even go any further, there's another observation here that which I think is valid. I hope I'm not mistaken with this, but because there are so many people in this church speaking in tongues, and Paul has already established that he has spread the gifts out among the church, it was never his intention that, that any one church has only one gift. And so whatever the gift would be, he, he doesn't expect that every person would have that gift. So it seems to me, it stands to reason that some of the people in Corinth who were speaking in tongues did not have the gift of tongues. Think about it. Paul's saying you're all trying to speak in tongues and a lot of you are speaking in tongues. That in itself is not normal according to what the Spirit does. He spreads out the gifts. So how can you speak in tongues if you don't have the gift of tongues? Well, I'm sure I don't have all the answers to that. Um, but it would seem that as, as we see today, and I'm reading our own experience, present day experience of tongues into the text, and that's always dangerous. But it would seem that today, as I talk to people who, who have learned to speak in tongues, who do speak in tongues, um, generally, and I think it's a big generality, most people who speak in tongues today, they have been taught it by another person. They have been encouraged to speak in tongues, and they have learned it by observation and encouragement of others. And it's not always that way. I have a couple friends who told me that they were not seeking tongues. They were not with anybody. They were alone, praying alone, and they began to speak in tongues. But that's not how it normally is. I think all would agree that they've been encouraged to do this. And so that, to me, makes it a bit suspect that why would you need encouragement? Why would you need to watch it and, and, and be told what, what to say and, and how to get started if, if this is something that the Spirit does? Um, and because of the nature of the Corinthian church and what's motivating them, very selfish motivation, not being motivated um, by the desire to see others edified, it would seem that there are people in this church who should not have been speaking in tongues. It was not what God wanted for them, but they were wanting this because everybody else was doing it. That's just human nature. 
Some of, their, of these people likely, it would seem to me, did not have the gift of tongues. Many were speaking in tongues without the concern for the, for the lack of edification of others that they were displaying. There is no record of these people in Corinth. Uh, I'm sorry, there's, there's no record of these people um, praying for tongues. They were just doing it. Most who speak in tongues today are taught to do so. Now he says, again, tongues ought to be inspired by God. You are talking to God. It ought to be that God is being addressed. And yet, the person speaking in tongues to God does not understand he is speaking mysteries in his spirit. In verse Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. You know, I can, I'll, I'll acknowledge that, you know, years ago as I was looking at this passage and, and teaching it, I thought, how can it be a valid gift if the only person edified is the one speaking in tongues and none of the other gifts are that way? But Paul never questions the validity of tongues, even though only the tongues pe- person speaks, the person speaking in tongues is being edified. He doesn't question, doesn't challenge the validity. And it occurred to me that, you know, most of us don't have any idea what happened in our personal, private lives during the course of the week. We saw each other last Sunday, we see each other this Sunday. But when we walk through the door, we can get a pretty good idea some people more easily than others, of whether they had a good week or a bad week, right? I don't know what the details were. don't know all the circumstances that happened. But you can just, as they walk in, you can kind of say, maybe it was kind of a downer week for them. And other people just kind of bounce in. And you go, man, you know, and they're just up and cheery, and it's great. My point is that I don't have to know how or what edified you during the week. But if you come to church edified, it's a lot more likely I'm going to be edified, right? And we're going to be edified. And, and so if tongues edifies a person privately, that has, by extension, impact upon the body of Christ. And that's good enough. And, and so I don't have to say, well, I don't understand why this one gift only edifies one person and then throw it out. Paul doesn't throw it out. If that person is edified, by extension, that has a positive, good impact on the body of Christ. And that's a good thing. He says in in verse 6, But now, brethren, I come to you speaking in tongues. If I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation or knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching. And so tongues in itself has no profit to others. It is like speaking into the air as far as others are concerned. It makes the speaker appear to be a barbarian, he's going to say in verse 12. There's no understanding. It's like a a bugle or a flute or or any other instrument, musical instrument, that you can't produce distinct sounds, distinct tones. Then it's, it's meaningless just noise. 
Verse 11, if I then do not know the meaning of the language, so edification should result in understanding, I shall be the one to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. And you, you know, I just think, we, we all are so prone to self-justification and, and, and so easily can deceive ourselves. I can, I, I, it's just easy to think that a person who maybe who, well, in this instance it's tongues, but it could be something else, and they come to church, maybe you just have something you're just excited about. I don't know what, it could be anything. You know, Jesus is coming again. That's a good thing to be excited about. And all you can focus in on is the one thing you're excited about, and you're not giving a thought to other people and their needs and how your one thing is impacting others. And so if it's, if it's truly edifying others, then one thing that's going to happen is others are going to be not only built up, but they're going to have an understanding here, especially in respect, in respect to tongues. It's not going to bring confusion it's not going to bring disorder, but it'll give light and understanding. Verse 12, he says, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, and this is his underlying principle, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let no one who speaks in a tongue, I'm sorry, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Apparently, the person who speaks in tongues could also, with God's enabling, interpret that tongue. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. One of the first times I was exposed to tongues at over a period of time, you know, I, I'd heard it on occasion when visiting different churches and things. But when I made my made a trip to Israel 40 years ago, um, 20 years old, and and our group of 15 was in the tour in, tour company put us with a group of 30 Pentecostals from Ohio. Great people, dear people, we loved them, had an excellent time together, but they loved to speak in tongues. And I'd never been around it that much. And we were together for over two weeks, as I recall. And, and pretty much, it seemed like every place we were, there would be speaking in tongues. When we were on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, speaking in tongues. When we were um, just everywhere, speaking in tongues. And, and we even um, got stoned one time. Because, as Paul says here, to others you will appear to be barbarians. And we were in, um, at Mars Hill in Athens. And, um, and we were standing there where Paul had preached. And, and, um, and, the, and the folks that we were with, they circled up and they started speaking in tongues. And other people didn't like it. And they literally started picking up rocks and throwing rocks at us. So I've been stoned. <laughs> and lived to tell about it. Another time we were, um, I think it was the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or something, and you know, all these churches had these big names to them. And, um, and there was a boy in our group who hadn't reached puberty yet. And that kid could sing. I'm telling you, wow. 
And, and, and so he would sing, and oftentimes they would put him up front, and they would sing, and the acoustics in some of those churches are just unbelievable. And so the boy started singing. And as he was, would commonly do, three-quarters of the way through his song, he would start, apparently, singing in the Spirit. That's what we were told, because I would ask our new friends, what's happening? And they said, he's singing in the Spirit now. And he would go into tongues, and he'd start to quiver, and his eyes would roll back in his head. And, and it, we, again, we, it, it, I'm not questioning the sincerity and not questioning their love for the Lord at all. But the, but the perception that others had is exactly what Paul's talking about. And our guide, who was not a believer, when that happened at that one occasion where he was, this boy was singing and singing in the, in the spirit, apparently, our guide shut it down. He was very upset. And he, just, he stood up there and shook that boy, had to shake him, and say, this will not take place in a holy place. This is a man who didn't even know Jesus. And I, that made an impact on me. It's exactly what Paul's saying here. They're not going to come into our assembly and say, wow, God is here. They're going to come into our assembly and say, God's not here. This is insanity. This is barbarism. We need to consider that in the expression of our gifts. Tongues consist mainly of praise and thanks, according to verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? So there's, that's what's happening. And, and, and the folks that I've talked to that speak in tongues, they say, I'm praising God. And I know that in my spirit, even though I don't know it in my mind, I know I'm praising God. Tongues does not involve the mind, as Paul says, in the sense of understanding. The person's not unconscious. He knows what he's doing. He can stop. He can start. But he doesn't understand what, he's being, what is being said. As I pointed out last Sunday, I came across in my, my study of, of tongues and, um, and, some, and then different examinations that have taken place of tongues linguistically and medically. There has been um, medically... Folks that are speaking in tongues have had brain imaging done as they speak in tongues to see if the language centers of the brain are active when the person is speaking in tongues. And they are not. And so, the, so that would fit, it would seem, with what Paul is saying here, that the brain does not understand. What's happening here does not activate the language center of the brain. The mind doesn't understand what's happening. Paul also says that this is a sign of judgment. It's interesting and difficult to understand, but he says in verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. So again, these are immature, carnal Christians who are putting this emphasis on tongues. Not everybody, <laughs> I want to be quick to say, not everybody who speaks in tongues is immature or carnal. The Corinthians were. Do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues 
and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now that's an interesting reference that Paul's pulling out of the Old Testament. And it goes back to when Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians. And, it's, and what, what the prophet was saying, and all the prophets were saying to Israel up to this time, is you're not getting it. You're not understanding how close to judgment you are. And, the, and then the prophet said, you're not going to understand how close to judgment you are. In fact, you're not even going to understand you have been judged until you are actually taken off the land and everybody around you is speaking in a language you don't understand. And that's how he's using tongues. That you're going to, be wake, you're going to wake up as Jewish people and you're going to be in Assyria. And you don't understand a word of Assyrian. And now you're going to go, we've been judged. And so in that sense, tongues is a sign to the Jew of judgment. When, when the Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the rest of the 120 were speaking in tongues, it was a sign to the Jewish people in the temple com- complex where they were. And nobody understood it, but they understood something different is happening. And Peter had to explain to them, this is as it were, a sign of judgment, that God has made a distinction between those who have received His Spirit and those who have not yet received His Spirit, those who are saved and those who are lost. There's a clear distinction that God is portraying. And so then, verse 22, tongues are for a sign, particularly a sign of judgment, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. And so God is using tongues as a way to make a distinction between believer and unbeliever. Having said that, we also understand that as the devil counterfeits everything, there is not a religion in this world where tongues is not spoken. So it's a sign to the unbeliever, but the unbeliever doesn't understand the sign any more than the people in Acts chapter 2 understood what was happening around them that day. But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. And so if the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues, and the ungifted men come and unbelievers enter, will they not think that you are mad? But if all prophesy, because that's something that can be understood, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters and he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by God the secrets of his heart, are to close so that he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is among you. It's just common sense. Where there is clarity, there can be conviction. God is a God who wants, who has given gifts that the church would be edified. And God is a God who wants us to understand what he is saying and doing. And where there's no edification because every person's focused on himself, where there's no understanding because tongues is being focused on instead of the other gifts, then God is not being seen. In summary, the church in general and the tongues speaker in particular should be concerned foremost with the edification of the body. And tongues does not edify the body. Once again, Paul is not dismissing tongues. He is not invalidating it. He's just saying the focus of the church when we are gathered together should be the edification of the body. 
and tongues simply does not edify the body. Paul spoke in tongues, he says, more than everybody. But he kept it to himself. We wouldn't even have known that if that verse hadn't been dropped in here. I speak in tongues more than all of you. There's no other record anywhere in Scripture of Paul speaking in tongues. And yet he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'd rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 words in a tongue. He kept it to himself. He did not seek to proselytize others to the experience of tongues. Honestly, that's been one of the biggest reasons that the tongues movement has been so divisive. It's not because of whether it's real or not. It's because those, many times, those who have the gift of tongues, it's been very important to them that others also speak in tongues. With the unintended consequence that you're made to feel somehow spiritually inferior if you're not doing what they do. And I know that's an unintended consequence. We are never, as I've already said in a previous sermon, called to proselytize others to our experiences. There are some things in the Christian life that ought to be too intimate to share. And I sometimes think of an experience with the Lord is truly, truly valid, where it is life-changing we will be told like Paul was told when he was raptured up into heaven and he was, had things revealed to him and he says that I was not allowed to speak of. And it was difficult for Paul to finally even say it even happened, but he still would not talk about what happened. Shouldn't that the way it would be, should be? If this is an experience of great intimacy with Christ... And I don't doubt that. If it's truly intimate, just as there are intimate things between a husband and wife that should never be shared, I wonder what is wrong with us that we feel that we have to blab about every experience we have with God. Doesn't God ever just say, keep it to yourself? This is between you and me. But everything has to be blabbed. Everything has to be preached on and written about and, and, and we try to bring other people into it. And I wonder if it just doesn't grieve sometimes the Spirit of God who's, who wants us to just know this is between Him and us. And that's enough. No one needs to know that you speak in tongues. I've been so blessed over the years in working at, at His Hill and we get students from all kinds of theological backgrounds. No year is different with that. And most years, um, I wouldn't even know if we have students that speak in tongues because they're not talking about it. They're mature enough, godly enough that they know that this should not be an emphasis and not something they should be encouraging other people to do. There have been one or two times when I have found out that someone has spoken tongue or speaks in tongues and they wanted to stay and, and work in summer camp. And I said, well, that would be great, but we need to have a little talk here. Camp is about, and as all the Christian life is, is about Jesus. And we are here to bring kids 
to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. They don't need to speak in tongues, right? They do need Jesus, right? And those individuals have always been so good to say, that's what I want. I just want to be about Jesus and making Jesus known to these kids. So you can be here all summer and never mention tongues to these kids, right? Yes. You can be here all summer and not encourage your fellow counselors to pray in tongues with you, right? In fact, you can pray with them and not have to break out in tongues, right? And every time it's been, Charlie, I don't want this to even be known. I don't want this to be a focus. And so it has been wonderful ministering together because there's not something that's taking away from the centrality of Jesus Christ. And that's true spirituality. Understand, Paul's going to say later in this chapter, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. I'm not forbidding tongues when I say, you can speak in tongues, as Paul did. Lots. But it doesn't have to be known. It doesn't have to be advertised. It'd be another thing to say a person should never, ever, under any circumstances, speak in tongues. That would be a violation of what God's Word says. No one has the right to categorically forbid it. But we do, should encourage that it be kept private. What about interpretation? Now this gets to the issue of order. And the last part of the chapter, 20 through 39 to 40, 20 through 40, is about issues of order in the church service. And we're already nearly out of time, and I don't want to rush through that, but I will say Paul has brought up a third gift, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And he said, and you can pray for the gift of interpretation if you're speaking tongues in the congregational setting. Paul's going to say that when tongues is spoken in the congregational church, in the setting, it should be two or three at the very most. In other words, a church service should not be characterized by tongues. Only one person at a time. So never two people talking over each other. That's always rude. Even if you're both speaking English, right? (laughs) And if you're speaking in a tongue, it's still rude. You know, they shouldn't be talking over each other. And there should always be an interpreter. This is where it gives me caution. And again, we, we are not a church that speaks congregationally in tongues. I have heard of a couple of pastors, and I hope I'm not um, mischaracterizing, misstating, but my understanding was that um, the guy that founded the Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith spoke in tongues, and many people in his church spoke in tongues. And I had the occasion to hear him preach at my Bible college that I attended in seminary, both, and if I heard him correctly... He did not allow church, his, in the congregational meeting of his church, he did not allow people to speak in tongues. And part of the reason, if I understood correctly, was because he could not be sure of the interpretation. Because when the blind studies are done, and you take a recorded instance of tongues, and have several people with the gift of interpretation tell you what it means, and no two people come up with the same interpretation, even if the tongues is valid, it makes the interpretation highly questionable. And that is 
good reason not to allow it in church. As, as I understand, Chuck Smith with Calvary Chapel churches did not permit it. I could be mistaken on that. I hope I'm not. But the tongues peeper, speaker is to be under control at all times. And the question of interpretation, if we can't be sure of the interpretation, and we can't, it seems that we are wise to not permit tongues in our church service. And again, we are not forbidding the speaking in tongues. But we're saying in the church service where we can't be sure of the interpretation, then it would be wise not to permit it. We don't know what's being said. It brings undue attention, focus off of what can be understood. And any unbelievers among us will be turned away potentially from the Lord. So those are good reasons not to do it. The last thing I want to do is to denigrate anyone who speaks in tongues. I can't approach this passage of Scripture and deny that it is a valid gift. But we also have to acknowledge that much of how it is practiced today corporately in the church is not consistent with Paul. what Paul says here in this passage. It's typically not done one at a time. It often characterizes a whole church service. There's often more than two or three people. And the interpretation is really never consistent. So there are very good reasons to say, this does not edify the body. Which is the point that Paul's making here. So keep it private. When we come together, it should be for edification. When we come together, there should be understanding. We pray at the beginning of every church service, God, give us understanding. And it's his desire that we understand his word and his ways. And all that we should do should be done orderly. I appreciate A.W. Tozer once commented on the charismatic Pentecostal churches and not in a, in a, with any harshness. He just said, it, it seems to me in my observation, my life experience, that the most exuberant church services, speaking of the charismatic Pentecostal, and they're certainly more exuberant than Bernie Bible. The most exuberant of churches are still predictable. Aren't they, are they not? And I thought that's a good observation. Whether it's an Assembly of God church or an Evangelical Free Church, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen from Sunday to Sunday from, from one part of the hour to the next when people are gathered. They are predictable. And that's not a bad thing because we would expect there would be order because God is not a God of chaos and confusion, but a God of order. And we'll speak more to that next Sunday. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I don't begin to understand all these things, but I do want to understand you and your ways and your word that we not be led astray. Paul started this whole conversation, this whole topic here on tongues by saying that when we were not saved, we were led astray to the dumb idols in various ways. This is not 
a time to be led astray when we are in Christ and the one who is the truth indwells us and we've been given your word which is without error. So I pray, God, as we all want to know you in reality, that our pursuit of you would be through your word and that we'd be careful, cautioned by your spirit not to run after experience and not to encourage others toward experience. That the, the foundation of our faith would always be Christ and his word. And that even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, where you seem distant and not present, and there is no consciousness of your presence, no experience that you are with us, that we will stand true because your word keeps us and is the very rock and foundation of our faith. I thank you, Lord, that you are God, you are bigger than we are, and you are free to do in us whatever would please you. We don't want to limit you, but we do want to live true, Lord, to your word in all that you've said. And we pray, God, that increasingly as we come together as a body, whether it's on Sunday mornings or just over a cup of coffee, that our hearts and our minds would be yours in wanting to build up and not tear down, to see the other encouraged and strengthened in his or her faith. And that all that we do would be true to you. In Christ's name, amen.